Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Go hey, It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town. Only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, how's everybody doing today on a Tuesday? A's Cast Live as the Athletics are getting ready to take on the St. Louis Cardinals game two of the three-game set. I just thought about this. We might want to get a hold of either Alex Jensen or Johnny Dosko, and I know they got to call the game today. They went to the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame. I talked to Johnny about it yesterday because I haven't been to St. Louis. It's like one of the only major cities in our country I haven't gone to with the team before. And everybody says the Cardinals Hall of Fame is no joke. Now, I've done the Packers Hall of Fame in Green Bay, and the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame at Lambeau Field it feels like you're in Canton, Ohio. It feels like you're there. I'm getting pictures from from Johnny about the Hall of Fame and pictures from the Hall of Fame in St. Louis. It looks spectacular. It looks like a baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, I can effort Alex Jensen since you talked to Johnny about it. Let's get Alex's take on it because they went to the uh, – Oh, wow. Shots fired against uh, Johnny Johnny's D. been on this program plenty. Woo, Johnny. Uh they both went to the Roberto Clemente Museum when, when they were in Pittsburgh yeah, also. Yeah, haven't done that either. Yeah, I've been to St. Louis, but never – I've seen the outside of Bush Stadium because I just drove through and I moved here. Saw the Gateway Arch. Like, St. Louis wasn't a bad city. I was only there for like a day, but it was a drive-by city I don't know. Where, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many people go, St. Louis is great. Ballpark's great. Cardinal baseball is always interesting. Eh, St. Louis, not so much. Uh, so we'll got to get into that. Uh, Shooty Babbitt is going to join us at 2.30. I got a bone to pick. With my man, Shooty Babbitt. I cannot wait. 
The great Shooty Babbitt, he'll be on A's pre and post game, A's pre and post game live today. Uh, I think he's doing like nine straight shows. And of course, Shooty played second base for the Athletics, and he's one of the top scouts, no question about it, in Major League Baseball. There will be a time when Shooty Babbitt retires. And I hope at that time we do something for him because this is a man that's done incredible work. And he doesn't want me to talk about it. He hates how I brag on him. But, you know, he's got a couple World Series rings and some of the biggest names executive-wise in our sport, what they have entrusted in him as a fact finder and as a guy to help find people. You know, Shooty's been a player. Shooty's been a scout that when you were at the deadline, and you wanted to see certain guys, and you want to make sure you had eyes on these guys before you made these big deals, Shooty was the guy that some of these organizations sent out. You know, because you have your area guys, you've got the West Coast guy, and then you got all the area guys, and you got the scouts, and you got all these people and all the different regions and everything. Shooty was like the secret agent who would come in, and they would – you know, he, he would fly over the stadium, parachute down, and he'd be in the bushes, and he'd look at the guy, and he'd go back to the bosses. You know, because, like, in the mob, you got to have your secret hitman. You got your street guys, but you got to have the hitman, like, right? right? You got to have the – that's Shooty Babbitt. Not to be confused with Brett the Hitman Hart. Correct. Yeah. Who has not wrestled in how long? It's a long time. Uh, excellence of execution. Best he said it once. He probably did more for Pink as a man than most any other man in the history of professional sports. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. He's not even in my top five. Technical wrestlers, he's one of the best. He's not even in my top five. Well, I know Hogan's number one. Hogan's there. Macho man. Flair's there. Everybody's got Macho man on their list. Bret Hart had him on his Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that's their era. I mean, for me, it's mine's a different era for me. You don't respect you you, you. you like you don't care about Babe Ruth. You don't care about Lou Gehrig. You say to hell with Mickey Mantle. You 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 know what? You're right. You you are right. Hank Aaron stinks. I think Hank Aaron's one of the greatest. No no ever. no no no. That's a bygone era. Willie Mays, throw him out the door. Jackie Robinson, go ahead, say it. Wasn't my era. Say it. Not your era. <laughs> Jackie Robinson, eh, just pull all their plaques off the wall at Cooperstown and throw them in the street. Well, we already got Geloff in there, so there's a modern-day guy. <laughs> Zach Geloff, by the way, I literally I got a text yesterday. Are we working on the statue yet? Uh, great question. Alex Jensen said he will, he will come on if we want him. When do we want him? Uh, not, not yet. Okay. All right. T- tell Alex Jensen he'll have his own time today. Uh, Eno Saris at 3.30, our national baseball columnist. Are we working on the Zach Geloff statue right now? I mean, we got to – you want to work on the wording for the plaque? Because, you know, on every single statue, there's a plaque at mm-hmm. the base that tells you about the player. Like when you go to Willie Mays Plaza and there's Willie Mays, who you think wasn't that great because you didn't see him play and he's a bygone era – but Willie Mays, there's this whole thing about Willie Mays' career on a plaque. Somebody's got to write the verbiage out. <clears throat> I guess I could try to take a stab at it. Move over, Ricky Henderson. 
because you really didn't see Ricky play. Tell end of Ricky's career when he's you didn't really see Ricky. Padre. Moo, yeah. Angel, great Ricky Henderson. <laughs> I always remember him as a Met. Mariner. <laughs> Red Sox. Surf Dog. Move over, Ricky Henderson. New greatest A of all time, Zach Geloff. I mean, he's he's climbing the boards quickly. I mean, what else do you want this kid to do? I'm ready. I mean, are we? Can you get Dave Cat? Tell Dave Cavill get a green coat ready. We're ready to put him into the Hall of Fame. We're on it. All right. Last three A's rookies in a 25 game span to have 17 of their 27 hits be extra base hits. Geloff, Nick, Swishalicious, Swisher, and Mark McGuire. You know, they, those two guys have nice, nice careers as well. He's hitting 311, seven jacks, 11 RBIs, three stolen bases, and 13 runs scored over the last 15 games. He's got an extra base hit in five straight games. That's the longest streak in Major League Baseball. He's looking to become the first A's rookie with an extra base hit of six-plus games or more since rookie since the rookie of the year Ben Grieve in 1998 at seven overall he's got 18 extra base hits nine doubles one triple eight home runs in his first 26 games do you do you put the statue up now of the great Zach Geloff your thoughts I need to finish he's in a historic baseball town let's see how he finishes the series if he if he keeps going extra base hit tonight Maybe another homer, drives in a couple more runs, steals a base. I mean, you might have to put him up there. I mean, might have to retire. What number is he, 20? Might have to put that number 20 up in the uh, up there with Stu and Eck and Ricky and Catfish. I think that number has to go up there. What did he do? It was something yesterday. He's done something that hasn't been done since 1900. I got all these notes. I got so many Zach Geloff notes. It's literally unbelievable. There was something that he wasn't, hasn't if done. If it was in yesterday's notes, wasn't it like the very beginning? All the stuff about Gallo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call, good call. First player since 1900 with at least eight home runs and six stolen bases in his first 25 career games. This guy's an all-time great. I'm not putting the cart before the horse. I'm buying. <laughs> Give me the drop, the new drop. He is literally the greatest player in franchise history. That's not true! Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Zach And Zach Geloff, we trust. I have said it, and I'll say it again. And again, and again. Let the young kids play. As horrific as these last days of, last three days have been, you could just sit there and go, I, I'm loving watching this kid. I mean, even in a game where he only gets one hit, it's a double and an RBI. Every day he does something. Every single day. Even Ruiz hit a home run last night. Way back, way back. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Is that going to be caught? Oh, it's over the wall. Good to see him finally go deep. Second of the year. Because what you don't want to do, you don't want to be Miles Straw. He still doesn't have one, right? No, I think he got It's been like a thousand-something plate appearances, but I think he finally got one. He was, it's it was, the record, right? Most apparent, mo, he most does. at bats. He's got one. He got one, yeah. Yeah, he went like a fact dating back to how long? I think it was twenty-one. Over a thousand at bats without a home run. I gotta think. Even at my age, if you put me up there every day, at some point I'm running into one. 
Yeah, he hit, he hit four in 2021, then didn't hit any last year in 152 games. And then he finally just hit one this year. Close your eyes and swing. At some point, you run into one. Uh, between Nick Allen and, and Ruiz now, they have five. I mean. Well, hey, with Ruiz, what we don't want. Like, I'm happy for Ruiz, and I was like, I don't want to say I was jumping up and down in my house while watching the game, but I was pretty excited <laughs> to watch Ruiz go deep. That kind of stuff excite me. I just, I think back to my man, Rajay Davis. Rajay Davis hit a couple home runs, and then Rajay Davis all of a sudden hit everything in the air, and I started thinking of Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Willie Mays Hayes. Like, what are you doing? Hit the ball on the ground. Your speed, you're not a home runner. So, great for Ruiz to go deep, but, son, that is not your game. So, there were some good things with the game yesterday. There's no question about it. Good to see Seth Brown actually starting to hit, too. Because, yeah, that was tough. I mean, Seth Brown this year was, you know, it, when we were doing our preseason predictions, it was chalk to pick him to hit the most home runs. We thought, you know, this might be a year he could pop 30 out. If he's healthy, plays a full season, he could hit 30. He's hit 25, so he can hit 30. And then he hurts his oblique, and it just hasn't been the year we thought it was going to be. And remember, he's 31 years old. So, Seth Brown right now, though, hitting 324, five extra base hits, eight RBIs over his last 11 games. I do not agree with. I think that that play in the eighth inning was a tough play. He had a long way to run. The catch probability was only 20%. Correct, yeah. It did hit his glove. A lot of outfielders would tell you, if it hits your glove, you better catch it. Um, But they said he misplayed the ball in the notes today. I'm like, that's a little harsh. 20%. Catch, I've got, I've got, you know what? I've got far bigger issues with what happened. Excuse me, that was in the seventh inning looking at the Bible here, the scorebook. I've got far bigger issues what happened in that inning than Seth Brown running. If you look, go back, watch where he was, mm-hmm. how far he had to go, and you have Lawrence Butler coming into your eyesight that was not an easy catch. No, Could he have I, caught it? Yes. Was that an easy catch? No. And I think even the catch probability of Lawrence Butler caught him off and tried to get it was like 15%. So the way it works is I think it's like between 0 and 25. That's considered like a five-star catch, meaning that's an unbelievable play. 15 to 20%, five-star catch, they would have made that, and they would have got out of the inning. But, yeah, to say the Seth Brown misplayed it, I thought that at first, too, that I went back and looked at sad casts and everything and saw it, and I was like, you know what? He went a long way to get that ball. Can't say he misplayed it. Yeah, that's a long – you know, it was a ball that Walker hit really just in a perfect spot. But there's things in that inning that we could look at that have – that I really probably don't want to address today. I I, I want to be positive. You know, uh, it's just – I was was a little – it's been hard not to be emotional in – in the A's Clubhouse show, which is our post-game show, after the game, we take your phone calls, 833-625-2278. It's hard not to be emotional. It really is. These are really emotional times. We all know what's going on. It's emotional for everybody. It's affecting everybody. And it just gets magnified when the team loses. And we we care. Like, we care. We care about the brand. We care about 
how it looks, how people talk about us, how it's not easy. And when you come on after these games and you just you just go, man, you can trade all these guys, right? You could trade all these guys. Still doesn't mean you should be this bad behind. Be behind Kansas City? By six games. How about Detroit's in full rebuild mode? They have 20 more wins. How does Detroit have 20 more wins? How's that possible? How is it just like, I mean, these last three games, you should have won. Should have won the game, that final game. What was the final? I got it. They're all running together now. It's like nightmare after nightmare. So, uh, the, one, the, one, one, the one in Texas. Was it 8-7 was the final on Sunday? I mean, it's like, yeah. It was, what was it? Sunday was 8-7. Oh, no. I was thinking of the Nationals game. Because remember, it was the, they eight scored all two, the 8-2. 8-7 uh, lost to, no, 8-2. I don't know. Whatever. It's just these some of these games. Well, I was looking just back two days ago to Sunday. They should have won. Yeah, that what game. was Sunday's game? I thought it was eight seven because they were up seven two in the ninth and they came back and scored six rounds of the win. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. And we gotta keep, you know, we gotta be honest with you, especially in the post game show. But it is hard. And the optics, that that really was the thing for me. The optics of it. You know, when Perez comes out of the bullpen and all of a sudden you're searching for Pitchcom, Pitchcom has become a part of the uniform. Pitchcom is a part of your gear. So that's the equivalent of, I mean, this will sound really ridiculous. I mean, do you walk out onto a football field without shoulder pads and a helmet? I don't think I've seen that in a while, only in movies. I mean, if you're a golfer and you're playing on the PGA Tour, do you go to the first tee without balls, tees, and a glove and spikes? Do you, no. go, do you go on a basketball court without shoes? Hockey, hockey without a uh, stick or a puck? I mean, do you? Glove as a goalie. I mean, that now, Pitchcom is now a part of the equipment that you use. I mean, a baseball player, as a pitcher, there's only two things that you need to go to the mound with. What are those two things? Uh, your mouth, uh, your glove, and a ball. Now, the ball's already well, the there. Ball, yeah. What do you need to take out? Hat. You know, I don't know. I no, I don't. You're think the you're the pitcher, so you know better than me. Pitchcom. Oh, now, yeah. If we're saying we have to have pitchcom, there's two things. Before it was just it was just your glove. It was just a glove. I I mean, is there a rule that you have to have a hat on? I mean, most guys wear hats. I don't. Couldn't tell you less myself. I mean, it's part of the hat. uniform. But do you have? <laughs> if you didn't have a hat on, are you getting thrown out of the game? I. Who cares? You got to have a glove. Hell, I don't even think you have to have a glove. I mean, if guys can do it with one hand, well, who says you can't? Who says you have to have a glove? There's no rule that says you have to have a glove. I don't think there is a rule in the rule book that says you have to walk out with a glove. Might just be recommended. Recommended. Highly recommended. <laughs> but there's no rule that says, hey, you don't have a glove, you can't play. I've never studied the robot closely to look at that. I, I, would, I would bet a lot of money, and even though we're not allowed to gamble, I would bet a lot of money there's nowhere in the rule book that says you have. There's rules on how big your glove can be, but I don't think there's any rule that says you have to have one. It's a good question. Maybe you're point. a player that just likes to use his hands. You grew up climbing trees. You've got rocks for hands. You don't want a glove. 
Yeah, you don't care about California. But you need Pitchcom now yeah. because the catcher's got it, you got it, and that's how they play. You don't have Pitchcom? You came out of the bullpen. You warmed up and came out of the bullpen, and you didn't have Pitchcom. Then we've got to stop the game, and your catcher's out there going, you don't have Pitchcom? I don't have Pitchcom. Perez's like, I don't And they're all looking at it. Then the umpire's ready to say, uh-oh, that's a ball because we've got this thing called a timer now. We got a pitch clock. So then you've got to find where, where's the where's the pitch come here here unnamed Bat Boy run this out to this guy who doesn't have pitch come. Wait, the Bat Boy wasn't Dave Fleming. By the way, that was awesome. I, I, we'll we'll get to that later. I got the audio of Kirk and Kai talking about I'm it. I'm sure everybody <laughs> is trying to get him on their show. Right, we got to get on because we can get him on to promote his college football. That's the way we do it. Tell Flem, want to talk baseball, promote your college football coming up. Dave, Fem- Dave Fleming is an incredible broadcaster. Giants, ESPN. I mean, you see him doing huge college football games. He does the Masters on ESPN. Uh, the fact that he lost the Fantasy Football League and had to be the Bat Boy, that was awesome. I, I have, Here, let's. I have Crook and Kipe real quick. That was awesome. Here's uh, Crook and Kipe last night uh, talking about Flem being the uh, – Bat Boy in NBC Sports Bay Area. Hey, there's our Bat Boy. You know who that is? That's Dave Fleming. There's Dave. He's not going to get a lot of rest. What, he lose a bet or something? Yeah, you finished last in fantasy football. You got to be a Bat Boy. Same all the other way, but foul. Here comes Dave. You know, there is a Stanford try. <laughs> Slater's got the same try. <laughs> All right. So at the end, they show him walking away, and he's, he's you know, tapping everyone's shoulder, trying, trying to get an acknowledgement, and everyone just, like, kind of looks at him, and he just walks away and goes back into the clubhouse. So <laughs> now that is how you should lose a fantasy foot. You shouldn't have to get a tattoo. That's ridiculous. When I hear about those, those are ridiculous. There was one I saw recently was uh, some guy who finished last had to fly two days straight uh, without stopping airlines, like just going on flights for two days straight. That's just stupid. That's so much money. Like, that's ridiculous for fantasy football. You you only have so – you know, people forget you only have so many days on this earth. That's what you want to do. Oh, it's the punishment. I've seen a guy had to dress as a woman and play golf. He had to have women's clothing on. Okay. A tattoo, something. I mean, that's that's fun, that's fun. And I and I bet you, Dave Fleming had a blast doing it. Like I've never thought about doing it, but can you imagine putting on a uniform, and being the bat boy, bat boy for the day. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, I rec- if people want to see it. It was on. I saw that from. Uh, yeah, it was on ESPN. I Back saw to PitchCon. So we got to have a bat boy, who's a St. Louis guy, kid, run out there. Here you go. You forgot your PitchCon. Okay, now I got to put it in my hat. Now the umpires have to meet. Did you notice that? Yes. So the umpires have to meet because they have to figure out, well, what are we going to do with this? So instead of giving him a ball, they're going to count that as a coach coming out and talking to the pitcher. And then now we're going to play. Now, in the meantime, we have bases loaded and a lead. This isn't like 12 nothing. This isn't Rangers Angels. Ugh. And this is a laugher. 
this is a competitive game that you literally are not prepared to pitch in. A professional athlete clearly is not prepared to participate and compete in this game. And that's like, that's to me, that's the, that's the, you know, backup court, quarterback gets hurt, backup quarterback, where's my helmet? We don't know where his helmet is because your helmet has got the technology to where you can hear the offensive coordinator and your helmet fits your head, but we can't find it. Oh, no, where's my helmet? And he's scrambling to find the helmet, and now you got to get in. And in the NFL, they don't stop the clock. They don't go, oh, you can't find your helmet? We're going to stop it. No, they'll start throwing flags because they actually run their sport the way you're supposed to run it. We don't pause for anybody. Boom, clock's rolling, and you're late to get into the huddle, and you can't get the play in, and flags are gone. It looks like a travesty. Broadcasters are ripping you. That's what you had. You had a pitcher, can't find his pitch comp, got to have the pitch comp, umpire's got to meet. Chaos. It's chaos. What happens to the next batter? Newt Bar from the Japanese WBC team is at the plate. What happens? Walk. Runner comes in on a walk. That's now 23 or 22? We have 22. 22 times. A's professional pitchers have walked a runner in with the bases loaded. Next closest is the Padres at 12. You could sit there and say, all right, I'm going to take this and I'm going to throw it right down Broadway. Nope. We walk guys. We talk about throwing strikes, but we walk guys. I think the staff overall is 513 walks. There was 10 walks in the game yesterday. Because it's that hard to throw strikes. For some reason, people now want to sell you that throwing strikes is just, well, these guys are young. Well, wait a minute. May's 33. He couldn't throw strikes. Uh, how hard is it to throw just strikes? Lay it in there. That's better than a walk because a guy might pop it up, ground out. You can't defend a walk. I've talked about it for years. So you walk the guy. Now, then Baker comes up and literally has one of the worst at-bats I've it ever seen. Was not very, it was not good. This guy, I would have DFA'd him right there. Like, you're a knucklehead and you're never going to be good. He literally swings at two pitches. After Perez, after Perez comes in, he's a zoo, right? Scouting report would say, this guy's new. They've just picked this guy up. He's come in, can't find his pitch com. It's a circus. He comes in, walks the first batter. You would say... Dude, take a strike. They have no clue what they're doing. He helps them out, swings at the first two, and then takes a called third changeup. I mean, it was one of the worst at-bats you've ever seen. And then Walker, boom, triple, three runs in. So you come in, not prepared, and you end up giving up four runs. Can't make that up. So one of the worst innings I've seen. Yeah. And, and, and once again, the, the losses at this point, I've talked about. Yeah, I'm not. My this one, this one to be my beef with Shooty. Um, Eighty six losses. I, I'm not shocked, you. But it's like, to me, there's preparation. You remember, like anything else in life, you don't have to be good at your job. You don't have to be good at school. Just you. May, there's certain things you may not be good at, but it doesn't mean you can't be prepared. 
You don't need talent to hustle, and you don't need talent to be prepared. You don't have to be the greatest hitter of all time. You don't, got, you don't have to be Barry Bonds to watch video. You don't have to be Barry Bonds to show up on time. You don't, have Barry, you don't have to be Barry Bonds to understand the scouting report. You don't have to be any, I mean, it doesn't take, it doesn't take, you don't have to be a special player to, to understand the rules, to know how to play, to have your equipment, to, all that stuff does not take talent. That was my issue last night. That stuff, that's, that's just not, that's, that's inexcusable. Because eyes, there's not a, lies on, not a lot of eyes on you, but there are some. And when we're picking that up, that's a problem. That's a problem, really. That's a reflection of everyone. That's not a reflection of one guy. That's a reflection of everyone. Not prepared. And I'm not even talking about Felipe coming out and walking three out of the four batters he faced. And Who, now he's on the I.L. He's on the I.L. now, yeah. So it's like, I'm not, that's performance-based. Felipe coming out of the pen, walking three out of four, that is performance-based. The bullpen walks Perez six. coming out of the bullpen and not having pitch come, all that. And then, and then what happened? That's lack of focus. That's lack of being prepared. All of that takes no hustle. Zero hustle. And it makes everybody, everybody kind of not look good. And that was my problem last night. I'm not even talking about the day before with a historic loss or the day before that. I mean, that was just my whole thing. Like, and the, we can fall back on, though, the good part is we can fall back on Geloff. We can fall back on Ruiz. We can fall back on that. Um, unfortunately, J.J. Blade, you know, the other day sliding, making that catch, um, banged up his knee, going on the I.L. What else happened today? Uh, Carlos Perez is back, and Tyler Tyler Scott is back. Uh, Felipe, uh, Ano Felipe, and JJ Blade placed on the injured list. So there's the moves, corresponding moves for today. Spencer Watkins starting today for the A's. Spencer Watkins is the 17th unique starting pitcher this year for the Athletics. A's haven't used 17 different starters in a season since 1956. That'd be the Kansas City Athletics. Yeah. They used 18. Watkins' last start was for Houston's AAA affiliate on August 1st, allowed seven runs on five hits, three walks, and recorded just two outs. That's the last time we saw him on the mound. Against Dakota Hudson, which, by the way, I forgot about Dakota Hudson. Like, this guy was good in 2019. Yeah. Tommy John surgery and then just vanished. He's back. 3-0 with a 4.31 ERA. Oh, remind me I got something for you. Take a look at the potential National League Cy Young Award leaders. Oh, I was looking at the list earlier. (laughs) Who do you think? Who do you think is there is is would you see it on CBS Sports? Oh no, I was looking at the MLB.com one. Oh, I'm going off CBS Sports. MLB.com ranked the ranked the guys. Who too. did they have? Uh, I think it was Gallon was leading in the NL. And they their favorite. Yeah. Yeah, they ended up picking Blake Snell. Blake Snell second. If if either of those guys Spencer Strider, your boy, uh He's fourth. Mr. Strikeout. Oh yeah. 
Can you imagine? You realize his year isn't that good. Zero, he's like 375. 13 wins. That's his whip's not very good. 13 wins, though. It's a big deal, 13 wins. Well, you're now hanging your hat on wins? Now no, I'm just I'm just saying it because you said it's well, not no, I mean, you're, you're bringing it up. Are you saying they matter? No, the DRA is kind of high-ish for a guy that we're well, well, wait a minute. You love strikeouts. What else do you – I mean, what else do you love? Shooty Babbitt going to join us in moments. Uh, whip, but the whip's high. Whip's high. His war's high. What's his, I haven't looked at what his ERA plus is recently. His, his, nothing is good. You should be hanging your hat on the fact that he's on the Braves. Shooty Babbitt, are you there? Yes, I'm here. So I can talk about you as a TV star, one of the great scouts of all time, and a former A's infielder and a Bay Area and East Bay kid? You can let it rip. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing today, sir? I am uh, – I, I, the last couple games have been rough. I mean, no doubt about it, the last couple games. You've been covering it. Um, from your scout's eye – when you see the way these games have played out and you're watching players, you're evaluating players, just what have you seen the last few games? I've seen a lot to get excited about, Tony. Um, all the young talent, the new A's, if you will, um, has been true to the advertisement. Uh, I've seen some immaturity. I've seen some mental lapses. I've seen some kids perhaps maybe pressing a little bit, trying to be um, a little more than what they should be at this time. And I see some young kids forced in some situations where they're being under the big lights and the, and the big microscope, and every mistake that they make um, is uh, magnified. And for the simple reason, man, ain't no league bigger than this one, man. Uh, the best players in the world um, playing this league, and people are playing for some. People are playing for their careers, their lives, their jobs, their livelihoods, you name it. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, if you don't go out and challenge for every pitch, for every out, for all 27 of them, you can't get happy at 26. You can't be thinking about tomorrow, um, today. Uh, you're going to get exposed. And when you have a group of kids who are probably here a little earlier than they probably should be all at once, uh, and you're playing against some guys that are 30 years old or more experienced and uh, playing for a whole lot more than what these kids even understand what they're playing for other than finding out what it's like to be major league players, you're seeing, you know, what typically is going to happen after you unfold everything. You know, what's interesting about that is we now know front offices don't want to pay people once they're in their 30s. We know that we consider 26 the start of your prime. I know I can look at Soderstrom at 21, now Butler, Geloff's 23, but we've, we've had a lot of guys that are 24, 25 that people were calling young, and you're almost in your prime. So what is the age? Do you, as a scout, do you look at the age when you determine – when a guy's young, when a guy's not young, because there really is this blurred kind of definition of young, especially since if we're all going to consider 26 the start of your prime. Tony, I, man, that's one of the best questions that have been asked all year. And I'm still trying to decipher that myself. 
basically because of what has happened since 2019. Uh, there are some guys that missed a whole year. There's some guys who missed two years. One year they missed, and then the second year they missed down in a level that they probably shouldn't have been in. Um, guys were playing in the complex league, if you will, which is basically BP and ground balls for a couple hours and take it to the house um, and not against competition. Uh, I'm seeing guys that are 25 and 26 years old that are in double A and are prospects. And typically that time in their career, have they haven't knocked on the door. Um, they're working like you and I in a real job and raising family and having children. But because of those things, uh, because of a lot of kids getting rushed and they're not ready and you need a pipeline of guys that are experienced, that are more smarter than maybe they're skilled, um, that can come up and be that 4A player that they used to talk about as pretty much an up-and-down type player now until one of those guys mature into an everyday uh, major leaker. Because let's face it, and I know I'm an old prude. I'm going to be roadkill soon. The game is running me over so fast. I Come on, man. But there was a – well, what I'm You're one of the greats. One or two prospects. One of the two prospects would come up per year. Um, and you look at St. Louis where uh, Jordan Walker is a 6'4", 240, first, first uh, top prospect in that organization, and he's batting ninth over there. Not coming in here, jumping in the hot grease right away, but easing his way in, plugging a hole where there's a gap. Um, starting pitchers used to come in as the bottom of rotation guy, start out throwing three or four innings until they stretch him out and let them get used to being major league starters. Um, they're breeding them differently. The game is playing differently. It's just different. So to answer your question, Tony, I don't think that you can use that analogy as far as the age situation. I think you've got to go player by player, skill by skill. I do know this, being in the minor leagues and seeing guys, there's something that they all have in common. I don't care how old they are, and they all have that it factor. When you look at guys like Jell-Off, when you look at Soderstrom, when you look at Butler, when I saw Mike Trout, when I saw Felix Rodriguez, when I see these guys, uh, um, Julio Rodriguez, I mean, when I see these guys break in with these um, Corbin Carroll, when I see these guys break in with these teams in the lower minor leagues, and you say, oh, you know, it, 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 they have that it factor, and, and you don't notice that it factor at 26 years old. So when you're getting a 26-year-old guy, you're getting a guy who's against all odds, he's grinded, he's battled, he's found himself in the right situation at the right time, and they're taking advantage of it. But um, you can't trick this game, man. You really can't. And that's why I think it's so important that this age young team come in and play pitch by pitch, play by play, at bat by at bat, Till the last out is made. They can't afford to have mental lapses. They can't afford not to play the game the right way. You got to respect the game. And when I say respect the game, give the game what it's giving you, an opportunity to be your, your best self. And if you do that at the end of the day, you can live with the results. But when you start worrying about the results before you have gone through the process to create the results, the results are not going to look very good. So uh, I'm looking forward to the future. We know where we are right now and what we've done in the recent past is just a, a, a mirror of what's going on with this team right now, man. We're just keeping it real. But we're going to compete. We're going out there and play. Um, these managers, these coaches, the front office, the scouts, the uh, the vendors, 
the, the the analysts, the people like yourself, everybody's wearing these losses just like everybody else. But yeah. what you have to keep in mind, be true to what is real on the field and understand why it's like that. All right. So as a guy that grew up watching this product, being in Berkeley and Oakland your entire life and growing up an A's fan, you've seen all the greats. I've got all these people texting me. They're ready to put up a statue for Zach Geloff already. I, they're ready to put him into the A's Hall of Fame shooting. What have you seen so far in Zach Geloff? He's doing stuff people have never done before. Well, first of all, when I look at him and I look in his face, I see a guy of determination. I see a guy who's confident and a guy that's comfortable. Um, you don't see him up there wailing and off balance and uh, having bad swings. He's having good at bats. Um, he utilizes the whole field. He's a guy that can hit and hit for power. And who knows? He might have a chip on his shoulder. You know, they, they got him ranked as the 94th uh, uh, prospect in the minor leagues. I know it ain't 94 better players than this guy right here <laughs> and what he's doing right now at the plate. But, man, he's 6'2", he's 205. He's much bigger than what he looks. Man, I didn't know the dude was as big as he is. And he can run. But uh, there's nobody in the Hall of Fame for having 25 good games. Um, but we have a whole lot um, to look for. When you talk about the it factor, man, it, 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 it's the way he goes about it. You know, Mark Cotte talks about uh, he's as hard as worker as anybody on the team, the way he prepares himself. Uh, and I think anybody that's had success in what they do, they get comfortable in their environment, in their element. And when you put yourself in that environment and that element that you are accustomed to, it's quite often that you, you're going to have some success and feel comfortable doing that. Uh, he's been able to slow the game down a little bit. And he, he's playing faster at second base, and I like that. Nick Allen told him to. He told him, don't hold back, don't be passive, go out here and be aggressive. And, 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 and I like the, the, the combination of the two with him right now. You haven't even yeah. heard or even talked about him defensively. He's been so good offensively and that's normally the case when the Shay Shay when Shalele is doing the talking man you don't even hear the leather bro well, <laughs> I'm just saying yeah I it's <laughs> yeah when I saw him for the first time when he was playing for the ports he was a third baseman and to see a guy his size just shows you how athletic he is that he can play second base not embarrass himself and play pretty well and as a guy that is a former middle infielder like yourself you know, you saw last night with the pickoff on Walker, and they both tried to cover the bag. That's understandable. Just talk about why it is important right now. Play Allen at short. Play Geloff at second. And so these guys can learn to communicate. And probably the best we've ever seen were Trammell and Lou Whitaker in Detroit to where they didn't even need to talk to each other. They knew each other so well. But you only develop that, Judy, by time playing together. Oh, man. I mean, Tony, I don't think people uh, really understand. I think there's a lot of minimization of the thought process that goes in when you watch some of the plays that happen on the field. I mean, and you're exactly right. You can accept that because guys understand when certain guys come up to the plate, depending on where they plan, the communication becomes even better because a lot of times they don't have to say anything. There was a play in center field last night that Brownie – you know, he probably catches that ball nine out of ten times, but for the simple fact that he thought there was a situation where maybe the center fielder was there, um, it created a problem. I've been so fortunate and blessed to be around guys like Dwayne Murphy, six-time gold glover, Devon White, seven-time gold glover. Yeah. I learned how to scout with the Atlanta Braves when Andrew 
um, Jones was in center field at 19 years old. We're talking about some of the best that have ever gone have ever played there. But over time, playing with the guys that are on the corners that he made better because he was so good in center field, any ball that went up at a certain time and a certain direction, they knew to pump the brakes because Andrew had it, and they knew that. There's been Blade in center. There's been Ruiz in center. Now Butler, who knows? He may be the guy of the future. So it takes time. It takes trust. It takes uh, comfort being in your surrounding, in the middle of a diamond especially, man. But if anything, Nick Allen is the kind of guy that can take control out there. And uh, it's quite obvious unless somebody comes up in this system that's going to um, replace Nick Allen because we know uh, Geloff is there or Geloff is there for – um, going to be there for a while, especially if he keeps swinging back the way he is now. Woo, talking about experimenting tonight, boy. Ruiz is playing right field. That should be interesting. But I want to talk about um, the process has become so big with these young players that everybody is so worried about how hard they throw it, how hard they hit it, and there just seems to be a lack of awareness on truly how to play the game. As a scout, when you're out there and you're in the bushes, as you say, and you're watching these kids, how much are you seeing a lot of good, a lot of bad, but just the true instincts of how to play the game beyond just how big a guy is and how strong he is? I think the guys that have the natural instinct and the gift and the skill to play the game is the less that you have to say to them. And the way that they play the game instinctually, um, it's the right way and it's probably better than most guys around them. On most clubs that you go to, theoretically, you're going to see three or four guys that may be major league players unless these other guys maximize their skill set, which may be fringe, average, or average, but they go out there and they do a little bit of everything and they play themselves into major league players, and you love those kind of players. They become winning players. I love winning players. But with that being said, most of the time, your skill set, your level of ability to impose your will, whatever that part of your game is, is what has gotten you there. Analytically, I feel that whatever that is, it can tell you what they feel that you should be able to produce within your skill set. I don't have no problem with that. But when you start telling some guys to elevate the ball, hit the ball a certain way, uh, I, I, I think you're kind of crossing the line because we're all made up mechanically differently. Our thought process, our instincts, our level of fear and confidence is different. We're all different. Our bodies are different. We're just different, man. In situations, we're different. I think you can enhance in development. I think you can teach. I think you can bring awareness but when you start trying to teach a guy with long arms how to pull his arms in and he hasn't figured it out after guys been pounding him in and pounding him in, it, then we got a problem here. If me and you in a fight, Tony, and you're jabbing me and jabbing me and jabbing me in my chin, i got to get my left off. I'm going to get my knock. I'm going to get knocked out. And I don't need you to tell me that. So I, I, it's, you know, I tell you one thing. What are we waiting for guys to throw 120 miles per hour? No. Because if we continue to try to preach and teach and we keep on talking about a velocity opposed to the, the art of pitching, 
Okay, I get the science, man, but let's teach some art of pitching. Let's let's get guys off balance. Let's let's locate on the outer half. Let's pitch up in the zone and then come with a pitch up in the zone that gets out of the zone. Let's have some thought process here and some touch because mind over matter. Okay, if you go out there, and I know if I uh, am able to go out there and put a ball on the outer down in the zone, there's only one thing you can do: hit it through the hole or on the ground. You cannot elevate that good pitch sinking um, between the knee and the ankle, okay? You just can't. So everybody can pitch at the top of the zone. Let's spin uh, all this kind of pitch at the top of, man, top of the zone used to get you shot up out the yard. That's just like a sweeper. Really? <laughs> We're going to talk about a sweeper's a good pitch? Okay? Come on, man. <laughs> well, really? hey, hey, I want so, you, because Cody, Cody here – basically thinks baseball's fantasy baseball, right? He doesn't actually think about really playing the game. He's just worried about, as a pitcher, how many strikeouts you have. I want you to tell me the story. The best guy that you've seen, what was he, a double-A guy for the Minnesota Twins, how he carved people up? Tell that story you told me. King, King Ming Lin, and I might be messing his name up, but he's a 5'10 lefty, weigh 150 pounds. Maybe five ten, probably five nine, and I've seen thirteen teams. I, I've man, I could, I've seen about six hundred players this year, and or games. I've seen so many games, a game every day. Uh, but this was the best pitching performance in which I've seen all year, and it was not so much the fact of the stuff that he had, but the way that he used it. He had a complete repertoire. But every pitch had a purpose. Um, every pitch set up the next pitch. Uh, and it was just so impressive to watch. And he carved up some pretty good hitters in the lineup that he faced. And I just – and he was left-handed. You know, I, I never had no respect for left-hand pitches. I hit 600 off Tommy John, even though I only hit, faced him six times and got four hits. I still owned him. So, I mean, I don't care nothing about left-hand. But I was thoroughly impressed by this young man, just pitchability. Yeah, he could touch 95, but you know what? He lived at 89 and 91, 92. Now and then he throw you 95, just let him know you had it so you'd be aware of it. But while you're trying to amp up the catch-up with 95, all he's doing is just jacking you up with 91 and 92. So, um, if I'm anybody that works in um, pitching development, every pitcher in – uh, the minor leagues, we have a pamphlet of Greg Maddox and how he did it and how he got it done and watch and, and read anything mental that he had to say because in my opinion, in my time, um, uh, Greg Maddox is the best i ever seen and never threw over 80, 92. By the way, what, col ever. what colors is the Yeah. What colors the suit tonight? Pardon me? What colors the suit tonight? You know, we're going to mix in a little little gold and a little taupe tonight. You know, we're going we're gonna to sauce it up a little bit. By the way, the, <laughs> the, the other night you had a tie. There's a name for the, the print on the tie. I have one of those. My wife loves it. And I go, I'm going to take a picture of it, Shooty, and send it to you. I think it'll, I've never busted it out. I, I'm going to have to bust that out. Uh, but you are the best-dressed man on TV. I do have to say this. I was thoroughly upset. It was two days ago after that uh, comeback loss that the A's had where it was a historic loss. I got, I'm got i watching you and, and the great Brody Brazil and how depressed you guys were. And you guys were kind of upset after the game. And 
It made me. Yeah. Can I tell you why I was mad at you guys, and then I was mad at Vince Catroni? I was mad at the world. Can I tell you why? Absolutely. Because I've been upset for the last four and a half months. Where have you guys been? <laughs> now you're upset. Now you're now. I've been wearing this oh. crap game after game after game, and you guys wait till mid-August to say that I, I'm now I'm now angry. Hey, hey, I don't I don't think words could describe it that night, Tony. I no, mean, it's bad. I, I really, that was bad. I really don't, bro. <laughs> you wear it well, can I say? You yeah, I don't think I, I don't think people understand. And one of the reasons why I love to bring you on and I don't want to talk about how, you know, when you're a player, but I, I love to talk about the scouting aspect because I don't think people understand people in your profession, how good you guys are. You read human beings. You're interviewing people constantly. As you mentioned, I'll talk to the coaches. I'll talk to school administrators. I'll talk to parents. I'll talk to girlfriends. I'll talk to wives. You're investigators. I mean, you basically are a human evaluator. And to be good on that, to be good at that, it takes many years. You're just not saying, oh, the guy throws 100 miles an hour. There's a lot that goes into your job that I think the average person, they don't understand how good you got to be. Well, if you're going to make an investment into someone that you're going to make a millionaire and they're going to represent the organization that you're working for, uh, I think the skill and ability and look on the back of his baseball card and resume tells you all of that. But you need to know as much about that person in tough times, situations that you don't get to see him on the field, off the field, when he leaves the field. You never know. It might be something, how he engages his teammates or his coaches or how he handles the situation. It tells you a lot about the guy. So uh, I enjoy this job. It's been 29 years for me. I've seen so many things, and it's fun to see the ones that I thought would be good and that weren't. And it's good to see the ones that I thought were going to be good that turned out to be good. So um, it's been a great run, man. And Tony, I appreciate you so much for giving me the platform to talk about it and to make me feel like the things that come out my mouth are somewhat relevant. And I appreciate it, you know, a guy from the Bay Area born and raised here to get the opportunity to share my my stories and my job and my career, what I do, man. It's just been a wonderful thing. So I can't thank you enough. How many World Series rings you got? I got four. I got four on me. There you go. There's, <laughs> a, re- <laughs> there, there's a reason we bring you on. You're the best, Judy. Have a good show tonight, and we'll see you on Thursday. Thank you, Tony, man. You have a great show, too, bro. Appreciate you. The great Shooty Babbitt. That's a professional scout. That is a man that spend, has spent his life evaluating human beings. And his eyes and his sense and his feelings and what he gets from seeing you is going to, in a lot of ways play on your life long term your dream is to be a professional baseball player your dream is to get to the big leagues it's guys like shooty babbitt who are going to make that happen or not how they see you that's why you tell every young baseball player every single day is an audition every single day and they're watching everything they're watching you in the dugout. They're watching how you run out to your position. They watch how you handle yourself. Shooty, Shooty will tell you. I talk to every – there's somebody – if, like, let's say the A's, right? So he works for the A's. But over the years, like you say, he's got four World Series rings. 
He's been around a lot of great people, and he'll talk about with the Braves when he was a younger scout. Let's say the Braves send him in, and we're looking at Chipper Jones. And Chipper Jones is going to be the number one overall pick in 1990. Shooty's going to go in there and talk to everybody. He'll talk to teachers. He'll talk to parents. He'll talk to the principal. He'll talk to the head coach. And he'll admit, oh, yeah, I'll talk to the girlfriend. Like, he wants to know every single thing about this kid. What makes him tick? Why is he good? What does he struggle with? What does he need to work on? Is this kid not getting sleep at night? Is he boozing? Is he smoking weed? Does he play to me video games? They want to know everything about you. See, you guys don't think about that. But that's what the scouts are doing. They're just not showing up with a radar going, eh, 95. Eh. They're finding out everything about you. And there's a web around every player. I think about it now, even in my career, way back when. There's a web around you, and that web has all these coaches and all these people. And Shooty can call one guy. Well, he may not know a guy, but I know this guy that knows the kid because he played for him. And so I think about all the summer teams I played on. And all the guys that I played with and all the people that I played for, and I'm nobody. Think if you're a guy that's going to be a first round or a second round or a third round pick. You've played all. You've got, We didn't have showcases. They now have showcases. So he's going to know some other scout or some other coach that's been at showcases. There's going to be no secrets to you. So that's why you tell kids about how you live your life. How you, you know, Every day is like a job audition. How are you going to prepare yourself to present yourself to these people who make these decisions who want to make your dreams come true? So, yeah, if you're out smoking weed, playing video games, and you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't put it out there, they're going to know. They're going to know. And a guy like Shooty has been one of the best in the business. So he's funny, and he's great, and he's got great one-liners, and, boy, does he got suit game. Shooty's suit game is incredible, but he is a wealth of knowledge. And, oh, by the way, uh, shout-out to Fantasy Camp. He is the ringleader of Fantasy Camp. What is it? It's athletics.com slash fantasy camp? Yeah. Um, you, it's going to be from January 10th through January 16th of 2024. Ron Washington's going to be there. Shooty, Greg Catteray, yeah. Dallas, uh, Carney. Shooty's a ringleader of fantasy camp down at Ho-Ho Camp. It's a lot of fun. We got to see it pretty incredible. But, yeah, that's why I love bringing them on because that, you know, that's – this is our game. And right now they need to find these guys to help this organization. And we're going to get into it a little bit. When we have Eno on? I forgot. 3.30. Oh, by the way, Alex asked me what time we want him. Again? Yeah, because he, he was down in the dugout and he was wondering what time. These play-by-play guys are just so <laughs> needy. They're so needy. I'll tell them. I'll tell them. Ten minutes from now. Why don't we break? We yeah, haven't yeah. had a break yet. Yeah. Why don't we break? Because is he going to be able to do video? Yeah, I sent him the link already. Bush Stadium. This is the what? The third Bush Stadium, or is this fourth? Could look it up during the break. I- I'm going to bet this is the third Bush Stadium. See if it says um, we can't get one. They're on their third. Wikipedia. Well, I guess we have one. The Coliseum. It replaced Bush Stadium, Bush Memorial Stadium. So this is three. This is Bo- three. Bush Stadium two. Yeah. Yeah. So this is three. Is there a third? Yeah. New Bush Stadium or Bush Stadium three? 
Busch Stadium. <laughs> Cardinals are pretty dope. Let's be honest. I, you know, I mean, I, I have no connection to the Cardinals. I have no love for the Cardinals. I have no hate for the Cardinals. I have a ton of respect. I mean, they've won a. I mean, they've won a boatload. Whether they've won what eight? I'm looking this up. St. Louis Cardinal. I'm going to say they've won. Eight. No, no, no. They've won like twelve or thirteen. Actually, I think they're the ones behind the Yankees, right? Yeah. World's Championships. They've got eleven. I went from eight to thirteen. We'll settle on eleven. They uh. They got eleven. So they're they're number two behind the Yankees, right? Yankees yeah, are at 27. 27. Yeah. When you think of, um, real quick before we go to break, when you think of great A's and Cardinals, is McGuire the first person that comes to your mind? I didn't even think about McGuire. I was just trying to think. Hey, who's an A's and a Cardinal? Jason Isringhausen. It's mm, a good one. There's my immaculate grid for the day. Tony LaRussa. Not a player. Not a player. Um, Not a player. Mark Ellis. I'd go Dave Duncan. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Not a player. Not a player. Uh, they were both him and Tony were both players, but not. Dave Duncan went to my high school. Um, I'll give you another one. Mark Mulder. I'm gonna give you a better one. Hall of Famer. You're just so young. I don't remember. He's sta- styling and profiling. I don't know. Sta- he don't always know. talks about styling. I don't know. If, I don't remember Stan the man playing for the A's. Dennis Eckersley. Eck was a Cardinal. <laughs> I remember Dennis Eckersley, St. Louis Cardinal. Dennis Eckersley, you want A's? You go chalk, go McGuire. I said I'm, Mark Ellis. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Dennis Eckersley. Eck was a Cardinal for 57 games. That's pretty good. We can look up the list of Hall of Famers that played for St. Uh, Louis. St. Louis Cardinals, 11 World Series titles, 19 pennants, four double-A pennants. I have no idea what that means, but it was in 1885, 1886, 1887, and 1888. Safe to say they've been playing baseball a long time in St. Louis? Yeah, they're pretty popular. Uh, Alex said he's heading up to the booth now. Central Division titles, 12. Eastern titles, remember they're in the East, three. And they've been in the wild. They've been the wild card team five times. Jesus, they've been in the playoffs a lot. They're good. They've they've had a nice run of success, right? You think they've had some players? How many how many Hall of Famers? They got to have a boatload. Because you get like like look, you're getting Eckersley, and he played 57 games. Uh, let's break, and I'll look up the call the Cardinals Hall of Famer. Great. Producer. When you think St. Louis Cardinals, who do you think of? Well, Sam Usual, but if, if you're gonna go for me, I'm gonna go Pulhos. Tommy Her. Pool holes. Do you even know who Tommy Hur is? Yes. Okay. You think pool holes? He's uh, not a Hall of Famer yet. See, I think Angel. Future Hall of Famer. I think Angel. To me, he's a Dodger. Um, <laughs> he's a Dodger. Yachty Molina. How about Ozzy Smith? It's a good one. Uh, the Wizard. Jack Clark. Here's um, some of their Hall of Famer. Jack the Ripper. Oh, these are the. Are these there? By the way, I saw this thing on Instagram last night. It was uh, the 1979. The algorithms. Am I just, you know what, am I? Should I be hanging out at the winter meeting, nerd? My algorithms, like, you want to know what came up my algorithm yes last night as I was doing my walk around the park smoking my cigar? 
the uh, the 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 All Star Game 1979 introduction of the reserves. And it started with the Penguin Ron Say, and the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because Jack Clark was a giant. Oh. Pete Rose was a Philly. I watch your rant, by the way. Uh, Lee, uh, Lee Elia. L- Lee Elia. Elia, I watch it. Is it it's the pretty, greatest yeah, of all time? It's pretty good. And those blank suckers. <laughs> soon as, <laughs> He's ripping soon, his own crowd. As soon as I watched that, I went back and watched uh, Jim Mora. We couldn't do diddly-poo on offense. Playoffs? Uh, Playoffs? I'll give you a couple. I, we, I don't even know if we're going to win a game. Here's some. Here's a couple Cardinals. This is guys who played for the Cardinals. Or, yeah, if you played for the Cardinals and you're in the Baseball Hall of Fame, you get counted. I learned this working for the Raiders. So back in Alameda, the, remember the Raiders complex yeah. was in Alameda? One of the lower bathrooms that was down from where we would film our show, the Silver and Black show, uh, the bathroom, it had this wall of all the Hall of Famers, right? And you're, like, walking, and you're saying, that's Jim Otto. I'm like, Eric Dickerson's on there. I'm like, Eric Dickerson. Yeah. Eric Dickerson's a Hall of Famer. Obviously, he was a Ram and a Colt, but he did play for the Ronnie Lott. Oh, my God. I might need to get into that today. Uh, well, let's do the break first, and then Ronnie Lott, Ronnie Lott, did Omaha Productions with Peyton Manning. Ronnie Lott might be the baddest. Ronnie Lott is one of the baddest professional athletes of all time. They had a sign: "We will not get out hit all year, all year." Ronnie Lott is one of the baddest human beings to have ever played professional sports. You're talking about the professor Peyton Manning. You're talking about a guy. Ronnie Lott's not that big of a guy. And do you think of the punishment that Ronnie Lott did to other human beings in the game that has the biggest, fastest human beings of all time? And Ronnie Lott is one of the great enforcers. He was so nasty, hard-hitting that he couldn't play today. Now, Ronnie could play today from a standpoint of coverage because Ronnie could play corner. But... Ronnie Lott, the way he hit people, you couldn't hit people like that today. They just, they beat. He hit guys so hard. Just, it's incredible how good Ronnie Lott was. He was a good player. Four-time Super Bowl champion. Ronnie, I mean, it's before your time, but Ronnie Lott is one of the greatest just badasses in the history of professional sports. I think there's no doubt about it. He's bad. I'm not putting Alex Jensen in... Uh, and uh, don't go to him yet. Okay. Uh, God, just because I mentioned his uh, name. I, I, that's usually your cue. Jesus. I want to rip him, go to a commercial, and then bring him back. <laughs> you tear people down, <laughs> then you build them up. Oh, you, I, I, I He's was, no Ronnie Lott. I always thought it was tear him down or build him, build him up and tear him down. No, you got to tear him down, then you oh. build him up, right? I mean, I start ripping St. Mary's. I start ripping. I just go through the whole thing, and then we build it. Uh, the great Alex Jensen was at the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame today. I can't wait. I I hear it's incredible. We find out next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend and Commander Cody for Link Soul. you got to go to their website right now, linksoul.com. The new polos are unbelievable. New colors, lighter weight. We got our new summer shipment, Cody. I couldn't be happier. I look better, all thanks to Link Soul. So we're talking about new polos. You can check out their shorts. Anything you need for summer, they have it right now. When you go to their website, they've got a smoking summer deal. Go to linksoul.com. That's linksoul.com. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Eno Saris, 
Our national baseball columnist is going to join us coming up here at 3.30. Our next guest, are, are you ready yet? Well, let me get the music down. Hold on. Okay. I'm trying to do a bit here, but I, well, it's, it's hard when you know we're, we don't have don't we don't know. have all the te- technology we use. You don't have your pitch com when you come out of the bullpen. You're young. I mean, all the excuses I got to hear. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. He is no question one of the best broadcasters in all of college basketball. That's not true. He is one of when you think big league play by play, minor league play by play. I don't know if there's really anybody who calls a game better than our next guest. That's not true. The great Alex Jensen joins us here uh, from St. Louis. Alex, how uh, are you? Thank you for the introduction. I, that's Cody. That's not me. I, that you know how I feel. That's not Johnny, true. I appreciate, I appreciate your words. I'll talk to Cody later. <laughs> we just got the old Mike Gundy that from years ago. Uh, that's not true. Um, how are you, by the way? I'm great. It's good to see you. Um, it's, it's been a great trip so far. I mean, you know, the results on the field obviously have been tough, but uh, a couple great cities, obviously DC, and you know, this is a, a great baseball city, a great fan base, and um, you know, a great area around the ballpark. So, I'm doing great. How are you? Have you? I, I'm I'm always ready to rock. Are had you ever been to St. Louis? First time. First time. So I, we're gonna. I, Tomorrow, I'm going to go walk and check out the Arch, which is pretty close to the hotel. And, oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I've never so been to St. Louis, so it's like I, that's why I, I when I found out you guys were going to their Hall of Fame, because I, I think it's probably kind of similar. I went to the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame at Lambeau Field. I was blown away. I, I, I'm, I'm figuring probably the same thing happened for you guys today, just – what was it like going to the Cardinals Hall of Fame? Because people say it's like going to, like, the Baseball Hall of Fame in a way. Yeah, it's such a storied franchise, and there's so much baseball history here in St. Louis, even just besides the Cardinals. And they've got, uh, you know, exhibits showcasing the St. Louis Browns uh, and, you know, other teams, other professional teams that have played here in St. Louis. But it, it does rival the way the exhibit – I mean, obviously it's much smaller. Uh, but the way they, uh, you know, they have the exhibits laid out, um, it kind of takes you through a, a, a historical journey, uh, you know, chronologically from the beginning of baseball in St. Louis all the way to, you know, the current day. So, yeah, in that way and, and just how well it's done, there's a really cool room that celebrates the old Bush Stadium, which has uh, kind of the arches in the, uh, built into the ceiling that went around the, the entire stadium. So, yeah, it's it's really cool, man. I mean, they, they love one thing I love about St. Louis is they love baseball. And uh, that is really on display in, in, in the Hall of Fame. And just the way they, they laid out the exhibits, all the information there, yeah, it's a lot like Cooperstown. Well, the great thing about what we're doing with developing an A's Hall of Fame is that we have these Hall of Famers now. We just put the new class in, and the new class will go in next year. You can still vote right now, athletics.com slash vote. That's athletics.com slash vote. September 6th is the last day you can vote, so get online and vote for next year's class. So the idea is when we open a new stadium, we will have a Hall of Fame, and we'll already have guys that we can, like what you're saying is they have exhibits, they have plaques. We'll already yes. be able to have that and put that in. Instead of starting from scratch, we'll already have Hall of Famers to put in there. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, everyone listening knows that the A's are one of the most storied franchises uh, in all of baseball, much like the Cardinals. I think it's 11 World Series each, right? So, um, yeah, no doubt. And you look at the, the history of the A's from Philadelphia to Kansas City to Oakland, all the championships, all the great players. I think it's going to rival at some point this one here in St. Louis uh, with just all the plaques you're able to put up there. I mean, you, you get off the elevator here and you see, you know, Ozzie Smith, all, you know, for all, everyone from Ozzie Smith to Mark McGuire to Matt Holiday, who just went in this year, Kurt Flood, uh, uh-huh. Willie McGee, who's a coach here, uh, all the way down like Ray Lankford and Mike Shannon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the idea that there will be a Hall of Fame like that, a museum like that with green and gold, uh, it, it's it's a really exciting prospect for sure. We're at what? I think we're at nine. Nine world championships. Nine world. Okay, yeah, nine. nine. Yeah, we're at nine. They're at 11. It, it's, I mean, obviously very close and comparable. But, they, yeah, they've both been around for a long, long time. Uh, the new ballpark, it's not so new. But for us, we all think, God, it's their third stadium. How is the ballpark? It's beautiful. I can turn the, the uh, computer around here so you can get a view from yeah. uh, the press box. There you go. Um, it's just so cool, right? Have you had the arch back there and you can see the courthouse uh, in the background. And really for me, out to like left center, uh, it, out to center and left center, it reminds me a little bit of Camden Yards where they've got kind of a, an elevated patio out there above center field. And then in left field, it opens to the ballpark village out there, which is where the, the Hall of Fame is. The, the footprint actually, Townie, of uh, the old Bush Stadium uh, that was torn down to build this one, the infield is still there. So, uh, you know, Dallas got on the mound. I was standing at the plate. Uh, you know, Johnny was out. You know, Johnny got in at bat against Dallas as well on the uh, on the old infield. And it was That's cool. We awesome. Were, we were uh, in the in the old Bush Stadium exhibit, and they were playing some highlights, uh, kind of a montage of all the all the moments that happened in the last Bush Stadium. And they got to the Scott Rowland home run. Was it? I think it was in the NLCS, right, to send the Cardinals to the World Series uh, against the Astros. And the guy that was working there uh, said, "Where that ball went, so the flight of that ball would have gone right over our heads where we're standing right now." And that really kind of puts it in perspective. Kind of uh, gives you some chills that it all happened right there. The things that you're watching happened right there. So uh, that was also a really cool moment. It's it's cool how they. You know, obviously celebrated the history, but how all of it happened just right out there, um, you know, being able to stand there, stand at home plate where Mark McGuire uh, hit all those home runs in 1998, where the Cardinals won a few championships, where Ozzie Smith did the backflips on opening day. Right. It, it's it's pretty cool. Do you have my sounder ready? Uh, the same one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I need to talk to you about something other than major league baseball because i do consider you my my college basketball expert that's your bracketologist do it again he's my that's not true yeah he's my expert um no yeah well first of all how's our gales or we're projected to be in the tournament right oh yeah yeah gales are as of right now which is very important town what seed are we 15th what seed are we I think when I last checked, I think we were a five. That's uh, not true. A five? A five. That would be the third year in a row, by the way, that the Gales would be a five seed, which is their highest seed ever uh, in the NCAA tournament. What is the date right now? August 15th. And we're just a five? We're just a five. But, you know, we can play our way higher. The last few years we've played our way higher. That's ridiculous. Um, yeah. But you've got, I mean, two all-leaguers coming back, three all-leaguers if you count. Alex Dukas, who I think was honorable mention last year, and 
one of the best freshmen on the West Coast from a year ago, Aiden Mahaney, who went to Camp Lindo High School in Moraga. So um, I, I'm hoping, Townie, that they can get above a five seed. It's tough to do out of the West Coast Conference, but, you know, they've uh, exceeded expectations each of the last two years. Um, my San Jose State Spartans, what seed are we? I don't think they're in the field. I, I don't think – I mean, they're, they're on their – they are ascending. I will say that. We much. are. I mean, you talk to our guy Justin Allegra, who's now the voice of the California Golden Bears. Uh, you know, he he told he was telling me about the things that Tim Miles has done there in San Jose, and just like you know, establishing a culture, which is number one. And they won some games last year. I think they had a first round pick, right? The guy was it Omari Moore? I think that was his name. But it's been a long time since San Jose State's had a player like that. I'll tell you what. Uh, just looking at a football program, we just opened up a new whole facility. Life is a change in for Sparty. But what I really want to ask you before we let you get out of here, so much talk about, I mean, the, the Pac-10's been dismantled. Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen with the ACC long-term. We know about Texas, Oklahoma going into the SEC. Got all these teams going into Big Ten, Big 12. Football, football, football. What's the basketball community saying? Because this is going to dramatically affect the basketball community when all these decisions are being made for football. Yeah, I think my concern, Townie, is it's going to make scheduling, non-conference scheduling for teams like St. Mary's, maybe not necessarily teams like St. Mary's because I feel like the, that St. Mary's has kind of arrived as a brand, but a team like San Jose State who hopes to be an ascending program that's not in a Power 5 league, you pack these leagues full of 18, 20 teams – What's the point for Oklahoma State to play San Jose State, right? Even if San Jose State becomes a good enough team where it's now a quad two game, right? If San Jose State has a net, which is the new RPI, but a net of, you know, 60, which is a quality team, Oklahoma State's going to have 16, 17, 18 games in league that are comparable to that, if not a higher number. So there's no incentive anymore now for, um, you know, power conference teams to uh, take on those mid-major teams that are ascending and have, have not established themselves like a Gonzaga or teams in the Big East uh, or to a lesser extent like St. Mary's has. So it, it's it's just going to make getting to the tournament as an at-large for those mid-major teams, those teams that are not in Power 5 conferences, it's going to be very hard to get to the tournament as an at-large because you're just not going to have the opportunity to get those quality games outside of your conference. That's my fear. It's kind of trended that way lately, um, but this will really speed up that process because these power leagues now are going to be 18, 20 teams. Well, in football, people have always said, I can't wait to watch UCLA play Rutgers and watch Washington take on Maryland. We've been waiting for that for our life. Uh, it's just, it's really sad. I, who knows how this, it's, I don't know how, I mean, the football and the TV is also obviously going to dictate everything, but at some point this might just be such it might be such a scheduling nightmare, and it might – I don't know, because all the lesser sports are going to have major, major issues. There's going to be some tough to, – this is what it's going to look like now, and television is going to dictate, but at some point there may have to be like a, wait a minute, this isn't working, stuff's going to have to be restructured. I get the TV contracts, but any type of contract can be renegotiated because you literally cannot have – UCLA softball going to take on Rutgers or Rutgers coming out to LA student athletes. I mean, it's going to be a nightmare for all the non-football sports. It's going to be a nightmare. 
Well, what's the NCAA going to do now? Because they've always prided themselves on the student athlete, right? You, you know, our, our, our athletes are not employees. Well, we're getting to the point now where these, you know, this money is coming in because of football. So what's the next step after this? You know, I mean, are these kids going to start seeing money if they are? What does that mean for the rest of the sports? I mean, we're not far away, Townie, from just, you know, getting giving an East and a West, having 32 major college football teams and splitting them into two divisions, right? I mean, I know Chip Kelly – uh, mentioned that a few years ago. Uh, that's the way he sees this being the most efficient way for college football to go. But college football is controlling so much of the financial pie now that I, I just don't know that it makes sense or the way we're trending. I don't know that it makes sense to tie these programs anymore, you know, to the rest of the student athletes that are playing softball or volleyball or baseball or tennis. You know, it's just, it, it's going to be a nightmare. It, it's, I, I, I feel for those student athletes because I saw a lot of softball players at Arizona State, Oregon State saying, I, I chose to come to my school because it's close to my family. It's a regional deal. And, you know, now my family can't travel to Illinois to come watch me play and, and two weeks later make the trip out to Penn State. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. <laughs> no it's ridiculous. All right. I mean, you and I, right? We grew up on the on the West Coast and just yeah. seeing the death of the Pac-10 is is uh, it's really sad. I can't imagine. I mean, I. When, when I was at San Jose State, we were the best baseball conference. We were the Big West. It was Fullerton. Yep. It was Long Beach. It was Fresno State, us, UNLV, Santa Barbara. I mean, you have Mark Kotze, Jason Giambi, Phil Nevin, all guys who won the Golden Spike, Bobby Jones. We had so many Golden Spikes, which is the top player. We had so many yep. of them in our Big West. We weren't decided by football and we were the powerhouse conference that can't exist now. It's like crazy no. to think. I I would have not want to sign up to play in a conference that's got to go play Illinois. I don't want to go to Champaign, Illinois to play the Fighting Illini. I mean, that'd be cool for like a non-conference, but I don't want to be in the same conference as Indiana and Wisconsin and what? I Big 12? Well, I'll, I'll, you think I'll take I, it one step further, Townie. How, how would you like to get to Champaign flying commercial? Right, I mean, because oh. these baseball teams aren't going to charter. No. These volleyball teams aren't going to charter. And you're so not. And you're, you're not flying. About, you're not flying directly into Champaign, Illinois, either. No shot. Train you're taking a, a four-hour flight to Chicago, and then you're bussing another two and a half to Champaign. Oh so. my God! Well, how do you get to Madison, Wisconsin? Yeah, fly. You got to connect Milwaukee. to Milwaukee, and then you got to take a left and get another. Uh, you know, hour and a half or whatever it is to Madison. But, I mean, there's some remote towns, right? State College doesn't have a major airport. So, um, so. Let, let's go to the Big 12. How the hell am I How am I getting to Stillwater, Oklahoma to play Oklahoma State? How am I getting to Ames, Iowa to play Iowa State? How are you getting to Morgantown, West Virginia? You're going to be going from Tucson to Morgantown? Like, it's just, it makes no sense. Oh it makes no sense. And here, here's the crazy thing to me, Townie, is the fact that they're not even hiding it anymore. Here's how much we're going to make in the Big 12. Here's how much the Pac-10. It's not about competitiveness anymore. And it's it's everyone else loses except for the people sitting in those boardrooms at this point anyway. The fans lose. The student athletes lose. It's just – it's a shame. It really is. Gee, and I thought it was tough driving an hour up to Moraga to beat St. Mary's. That's not true. Oh, yes, I do have a – wait, what? I do have a win against St. Mary's. That's not yes, true. Yes, I do. Yeah, check the books. Yeah, that's that's gross. I mean, that's – that's Yeah, it's tough. That's going to be – and you're going to do that to volleyball. And, and David Feldman, who obviously works for the Pac-12 Network, is like, yep. 
Yep. You have some of the great Olympic athletes who play in the Pac-12. You're talking about the elite of the elite when you're talking swimmers, gymnastics, volleyball, all that. They don't want to go play in Champaign, Illinois. No question, man. I mean, you know, maybe if you're coming from Bloomington, Indiana, oh. if you're coming from Seattle, Washington, I mean, put, uh, you know, you can add this onto it, right? To get from Eugene to Portland is an hour and a half drive or so, maybe an hour. Then you fly, you know, and then you get to Champaign. You got to take another two hour bus ride. It's going to be a nightmare. These are Olymp- Let's figure something out. These are the athletes that represent our country and win gold, silver, and bronze medals. They are Olympic yeah. athletes come from the Pac-12, and now it's dismantled. I don't know. I guess I'm – am I talking to you today? Yes. I will talk to you in about uh, 35 minutes. 35 minutes. You're going to be brilliant. I look forward to it, Townie. Thanks thank, for having me. Th- thank you, my friend. Bye, Cody. Say goodbye. Bye, Alex. <laughs> the great Alex Jensen from Bush 3. I love hearing. I love the college football talk. It's almost back. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guarantee we're going to get. You're not talking about the A's enough. That's not true. I I agree. I agree. Why aren't you wearing the T-shirt? I can just hear it now. Uh, That's not true. <laughs> we stick to baseball, and we'll venture into college every once in a while. I'm a man. I'm forty. Yeah, I am. Sorry, I, I am a man. I am forty. What are you going to do about it? I just want to play another Gundy cut. That's all. Sorry. Um, just think about that. You're going to have to, like, travel. Like, how are you going to get to these places? Well, Morgan. Because football teams are on charters. They go fly into the airport. No matter what the size of the airport is in that town, boom. That's not how all the other sports work. You fly commercial, so you're going to have to plane to da, 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 and then – at certain times of the year, you have the bad weather. Things get canceled. Oh, my God. It's going to be a train wreck. Morgantown's less than two hours from Pittsburgh International. It's not too bad. <laughs> I mean, the safety of these athletes. You, I mean, trains, buses, and automobiles. I mean, do we really want these them traveling this? Are student athletes supposed to be traveling this much? No. That's why they need to figure You're going to be on a six-hour flight to get on a two-hour bus? To, this is just... All right, enough of that. Eno Saris, I did not realize how many analytics conference there there are. There has recently been a analytics conference. He called it the winter meetings for nerds. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. He did. That's not true. I did. It's you're gonna hear it. What was it like going to the winter meetings for nerds? Here's Eno Saris. Our show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. You know, Eno Saris, I everybody knows you're brilliant. Everybody knows you're a great writer and you do all this stuff in Major League Baseball that dazzles everybody. But let's be honest, people really want to know. It's hot outside. What is the beer to drink when it's hot? I mean hot because, you know, a real thick IPA. I mean, right now it's hot out. Well, I'm sitting by the pool. What, what, what should I be drinking? You know, I think that things get uh, super sweet uh, when it's hot. Like you don't want to have something super sweet. I'm not that big into like um, 
the super sweet drum rum drinks or anything. I want something to be crisp and refreshing. That's the words I'm looking for. And in fact, uh, lagers can get kind of sweet. There's a lot of sweetness to them. So I would recommend a Pilsner. That's got a little bit of bitterness to it. It's got a little bit of a freshness to it, but it also, you know, four and a half percent or so. So it's not super alcoholic. So I've been I've been having more Pilsners recently and they, they go down real smooth. I like it. All right. <clears throat> uh, have you come to grips with and have you started writing writing the piece yet that Zach Geloff may be the best baseball player you've ever seen? <laughs> No, I, I love it. What's it's kind of interesting is that to have uh, Zach right next to Soderstrom. They both are similar players in that they hit the ball hard. Um, they have a good sense of the zone. They're athletic. And, uh, and uh, they strike out a little bit. Uh, both of them do. And uh, I thought it was interesting just to, to, to have these guys next to each other and just see uh, – you know, with similar strike rate rates, similar walk weights, similar underlying skills to how, how different a career can start. You know, it's just, it has been more struggle bunny for Soderstrom and uh, just lights out for, for Zach. And I feel like, I think, you know, they're both really good talents long-term and they'll both figure it out. And, and Zach will have days where it doesn't look as good, you know, cause he does strike out. But, That's not possible. Um, that's not <laughs> This kid hits everything. He He's foul pulled a foul, you know, it's a pretty amazing. He is foul pole to foul pole. He can launch him out to right center. He can pull it, but he pulls balls down the line for a double. He smacks it down the right field line. for. I mean, he literally can hit it anywhere on the field. And you have to admit, in modern-day baseball, and with all these kids coming up, where everybody's so pole happy and trying to launch it, that's why we had shifting in the first place, he'd be this guy that, like, you shift on him, you can't. It's really impressive to watch a young player come up and honestly be able to hit the ball everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the big maybe the difference between Tyler and him is that Tyler has actually hit balls harder than than Zach this year. He has more hard like more one ten plus. You know, Zach hasn't hit one over one hundred and ten yet, but Tyler's been hitting them on the ground, and Zach's been Zach's been launching. So, you know, sometimes it happens where a guy who has had the ability to lift the ball in the past comes to the major leagues and can't lift it. And I, I don't always have the answer for you. Maybe they're low ball hitters or the way they're getting pitched. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Zach just looks amazing. It's been really fun to watch. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun to watch. It's kind of been a saving grace here in this season. And for Tyler, no matter what, he's 21 years old. I yeah, actually, yeah. when people say he's a young player, I go, yes, he's a young. I'm tired of people calling 24 and 25-year-olds young. But at 21 years old, out of high school, I got to tell you, for me, just the experience having him up here, it's like what Jim Leland told us years ago. Hey, if you send a guy down and he doesn't come back, that's on him. Legit players will be legit players. So uh, to me, I, I, I keep him up here. He's going to struggle. That's fine. But don't you think the experience of getting, being in the big leagues, being on the plane, traveling, playing against the best players well, in the world, this is just great for him? Yeah, actually, you know what's great for him is the struggling. <laughs> it's weird. I, you know, I think that a lot of kids will come through their high draft picks. They were the best player in their high school. They were the best player in their college, wherever. They've been the best player in double A and single A all the way up. You know, I think sometimes just getting smashed in the mouth a little bit is like, okay, yeah. 
you know, it, it makes you kind of think about uh, your process, your coaching, what you've done. Have you become complacent? Have you just been doing the same thing you did since high school? You know, do you need to, you know, revamp? Um, and so, you know, I think that can, that can be super useful. And yeah, to your point about what's young, uh, 26 by a lot of people is peak age. So I don't see how you could be young at 24, 25, if 26 is the peak age. In oh my God. You, you have no idea what my world is like, you know, you have no <laughs> idea. All these young players and you're like, what? These guys aren't young. We've I got mean, a, we got a soccer player here in San Jose who just signed, what was he? 16 years old. We've got we've got young girls competing on the LPGA tour coming over from Korea who are 16, 17 years old. And I'm not and obviously baseball. We're signing kids in the Dominican at 16 and 15. We've got guys, I mean, by the time you're 23, 24, 25, and and we've talked about this, we don't want to pay you after 30. So what is this window that you have? I, mean, right, yeah. I just think you're Brock, young till you're 25 and you're old at 30. Oh, boy. I just think our media just doesn't get it and they don't want to adjust. I just think that's the problem. I mean, to be fair, if you're talking about regulars uh, in terms of regulars that, you know, have at least 100 plate appearance, uh, plate appearances this year, hitters that are under 23, there's only 15. Uh, so, you know, I guess you could still be green at, at 23, 24, but, um, pretty hard. The trend, the trend in the game is definitely towards younger. And, you know, if, if you are young at 23 and 24, then you're only young for like two years. It's kind of weird. And, and, and what a lot of people don't talk about, cause I think they just don't know is how much baseball these kids play now. It is mm-hmm. far more from that, even from my generation. I mean, I'm and, and you can go back to people now. We're talking about 50s, 60s, 70s. I'm talking about a kid who grew up in the 80s and the 90s. They now, with all of the travel ball and all the tournaments and the fact that they don't they don't want you playing multiple sports, that most of these kids now just play baseball growing up. They have far more innings pitched. One of the reasons why we have so much Tommy John, and they have far more at bats, far more games played, far more competition than the previous generations of baseball players. So just by that, they are they are more experienced by the time they get to 23, 24 than what previous generations. So you got to be ready to rock, man. And I, I'll give like Soderstrom a 21, yes. But I start hearing 24, 25, and I go, uh, you're out of your mind. But, you know, you just went to an analytics conference before I ask you how the conference went, please explain to me who goes to these conferences. Well, one of the big way, one of the big uh, attendees are teams that are looking for new analytics talent, and they go uh, and they interview people that that are submitting and present presenting at these conferences for analytics. Uh, so it's like the winter meetings, then. Yeah, it's like the winter meetings for nerds. Yeah, it's it's more like. Uh, uh, like the 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 Mariners were there, and uh, my old pal Dave Cameron from Fangraphs was uh, was running interviews, you know, left and right, and was 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 talking to young kids and and uh, uh, giving them a chance. So, you know, what you know, if you get on the schedule uh, and you get to present, then that's a, a, a tremendous opportunity to to catch the eye of a team. And then you know, some of the uh, yeah, it's also like the winter meetings. You know how at the winter meetings they have the um, the trade show. Yeah, where like people are trying to get you to to buy their different, you know, good gadgets or 
or you yeah. know whatever services. Uh, there's a little bit of that where uh, there's a guy named Jimmy Buffy uh, who uh, runs Reboot, uh, and he was he presented, and it was almost just like an ad for his services, where he was like, you know, this is what we do. We you can upload video into our into our thing, and we'll give you a whole biomechanical breakdown of your picture, and we can do this at scale, and we can do it quickly. Uh, and he kind of then he went into some of the uh, nuts and bolts of his biomechanical model of pictures. Uh, and he showed us that he can easily tell you, oh, this picture compared to other pictures, uh, you know, doesn't like doesn't flex his knee enough or, you know, uh, is it doesn't like rotate his shoulder enough. And so they have these biomechanical markers and they can show you where your picture sits on this and where good is and where bad is and kind of highlight it's a, it's things for your picture to work on. It's a ripoff of golf. Golf's been doing that for years. It's it's like yeah. it's so amazing how baseball. And they give you just like a readout and be like your shoulders oh, too they, open. Your they, they can they can take your body. You'll be faceless, and they take take your body and they can put your exact swing and all the numbers and everything next to anybody. Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Jordan mm. Spieth. Yeah, they can do that. Golf's been doing all this stuff that baseball people are now trying to act like. Oh, it's new. These are shiny new tools. Now I'll ask you this. Like the reboot, are they trying to sell it to teams or are they trying to sell it to consumers or both? Well, you also have uh, college people presenting there and sometimes uh, college uh, colleges uh, will act as consumers, you know, as well as uh, as major league teams. But, it, you know, it's never directly to people, uh, you know. I don't think because uh, really the, the, the most the, the people who care the most about these sort of things are often kids. And so, yeah. I mean, you know, That's it's kind of hard. Consumers. Are you going to like, get the parents in there to see this and pay for it? it, it, it they're, they're marketing to organizations, whether it be college or major leagues. Because, you know, TrackMan, TrackMan realized we're going to make a lot of money. We got to get Johnny Hack paying for it because Johnny Hack's got the money. So now guys on the range got TrackMans on their phone. That's mm -hmm. where TrackMans – TrackMan hasn't made their money selling it to baseball teams. TrackMans made their money now in sports selling it to consumers. So I just wonder about that because, you know, technology, parents are the ones with the money. Parents want – parents think little Johnny's going to be special, even though little Johnny's probably not going to be, but the parents will shovel out a – a boatload of cash. I mean, to try yeah, and there's a lot, lot of stuff going on with that. Yeah, uh, a lot of amateur coaching and stuff like that. When you're at the winter meetings for nerds, as you said, um, you know, in your life, you thought, you know, being a rock star, women are throwing themselves at you. Is it weird for you being the rock star at the winter meetings for nerds and the nerds are throwing themselves at you? It was, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, there's, it's just kids coming up and, you know, you're, you're probably like a rock star at this place. Well, kids, kids coming up and, and, and being like, you know, oh, I love stuff plus. And, you know, <laughs> what's funny though is when, when you're, when you're, you know, when you're among this quality of people, the way that they show their uh, admiration sometimes is they come up and they say, I found a problem with stuff plus and I ran some models and you know, I think you're doing this part wrong and I can show you if you want. And <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the, that's the equivalent of, can I get your signature? <laughs> I mean, yeah. can we collaborate on this, you know, research? Cause I've, I've shown you, I can, I can show you something you've done wrong. So that was, you know what I really happened. <laughs> have me show up to this and say, guys, Obviously, all of you are doing stuff that I don't know about and I don't care about. But let me let, let Townie give you a life lesson here. Nobody 
and I mean nobody in life likes the guy who acts like he's the smartest guy in the room. Nobody mm-hmm. likes that guy. You may be the smartest guy in the room, but if you play it the right way, everybody will love you, everybody will want to hire you, and everybody will buy your product. But when you go up to like Eno Saris, for anybody out there who's watching this, and you want to go, hey, pal, I think your stuff's not right, and I'm smarter, and I'll help you make it better. And no one likes that guy. No one. No, he did. He did. He did great. He did it great. He said, you know, you're on your own podcast talking about change-ups and sinkers and how they're tough to do and stuff plus, and I have an idea as to why, you know. And so he was nice about it. There were some presentations that were surprisingly along that lines, and you kind of want to be like, dude, you, you know, what are you doing here? But, you know, what's, what was interesting at this conference is we also had coaches presenting, and we had coaches presenting from uh, colleges saying, like, how do I use analytics in my conversations with players? Uh, we had a coach from a D3 college talking about how she uses analytics uh, to coach her uh, her base runners and, you know, how to put things, how to how to phrase things, how to, uh, you know, she said she did have one student who was a student of actuary science, which is like, you know, an accountant type uh, who did want to know all the super nuts and bolts about all of the different numbers that went into it. Uh, but she said for the rest, there's a there's a way to sort of chew it up uh you know and make it as understandable which is something i've always wanted to do is like make it accessible for people but uh in terms of like uh you know highlights for me on the on this one uh not all of them were like the, the as super nerdy as you might expect one of the highlights was amazing dr alan nathan is the, one of these guys who's been studying the bat to ball collision he's a professor professor of physics he worked on the on the when the ball was juiced he was on the on the committee that was supposed to look into it and he found uh, something that I've heard from hitters before, and I, I cannot believe he proved it's true. And he said that some bats sound better and perform better based on their sound, and he could prove it. And he said that uh, bats that have a higher sound when you tap them, especially you can take a ball and hold the handle and you sort of tap the sweet spot or whatever, uh, the balls that have a higher sound produce higher exit velocities. There's something about the frequency the way that the bat is the the way the bat sort of vibrates that produces better outcomes. And so he said like, you can hold the handle of your ball and, you know, a little bit less than halfway down the bat sort of ping it with the ball and whichever one of your bats has the higher uh, frequency is the better bat for you to use that day. (laughs) This only only works for wood, right? Yeah. It's definitely a wood thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Not every tree is the exact same you're dealing with. I mean, with metal bats, you're getting the same manufactured metal bat pretty stamp. much yeah. going down the assembly line, right? But woods, a wood, obviously. See, that's something I'd be interested in because I'd be like, yeah, I, I, you're dealing all, – all bats are – there's different types of wood that you're using. There's different types of stain. There's I, – I, I totally – I'd love something like that. That's interesting. And what was really cool about it for me, too, was that the, the test, the thing you had to do – was so low tech and so easy to do. It reminded me of when we were talking about the spin, you know, uh, having a good sticky stuff test and like how one might just be stick a wiffle ball on there. And if the wiffle ball doesn't fall off, then they're in trouble. You know what I mean? Like this is, you hold a bat up in the air, you take a ball and you sort of ping the the bat and whichever one sounds higher, you got everyone, nobody, you don't even have to have a perfect pitch to do that. If it's just, you, you know, higher, you know, higher is better. So yeah, I, I love that one. Um, a little bit more, uh, along the nerdy side was, um, 
someone that kind of uh, uh, that looked at basically tried to look at a player's development process and, you know, what he's worth to the team and what, what he costs the team. And he's tried to solve for everything except for that player's development to be like, what is that player's development worth? Um, and the number he came out with was basically uh, over six years for every player is around $300,000. So you could be like, that's how much money we should spend on coaching players. Maybe a little bit less if we want to make money, but like we should like a, a player, if he's, if his development is worth $300,000 over six years, we should be spending near $50,000 on every player every year coaching them. I guarantee you no organization in baseball is spending that much. Cause you have to think about it. It's $50,000. I'm talking about if you have a pitching coach, you don't get uh, uh, all of the pitching coach's salary. He coaches a bunch of people. So you're taking a 10th of the pitching coach's salary, you know? So I, I don't think that there's any, there's nobody out there who's giving their pitching coach in high A $500,000. Yeah, that's going to go over well with college programs too and their budgets these days. Uh, well, well, no, they're spending it. You know, my buddy Max well, Wiener. In the SEC, the maybe in the Big Ten, but yeah. if you get away from non football conferences. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, quick, two things quickly. I know, I know you got to get out of here. Um, and it's just an observation being married to a teacher every single human being learns differently and maybe the biggest problem that we still have to this day is that you've got unbelievable numbers you've got unbelievable athletes we just don't have that middleman to truly teach each individual player based on how they learn because we all learn differently right (laughs) that's been proven that all human beings we all process things and learn differently. Maybe the problem is in baseball, we don't have somebody who knows how to teach everything to the players, to each individual, each individual player, how they learn and how they get stuff. Yeah, I've got a couple of responses to that. One is uh, just that, I, I, you know, there's some people don't like it, some people like it. But the one thing I like about the Giants brand of baseball is that they have like 15 coaches. And why do they have 15 coaches? They have they literally have 15 coaches because one guy might get through to you and the other 14 don't. You know, that's it's True. it's almost yeah. like you're talking about you she you're talking about she she's a, a teacher, you know, the number of teachers per every player every kid in your classroom, not every player. Every kid in your classroom, that that's a that's a number. That ratio, student teacher ratio is an important thing in in educational concepts. So, that's a part I like. A part that um it might surprise you. There was a presentation by Dan Blewett um, who uh, he, he was talking about how um, he's seeing less and less intelligence out of like, and not like smart intelligence, but like sports intelligence, like baseball playing intelligence out of players uh, these days. And he says that it has to do with how we train and how we think about things on the, even all the way down to the youth level. And he said that basically what you have is that um, we are now, basically teaching the kids to to the test in a way where it's like oh we want exit velocity you, you know the things that they you think about perfect game what do they want a perfect game exit velocity launch angle barrels uh pitch velocity you know what i mean like those they, there are these metrics and then you sort of you you overcoach these these kids into these these metrics and not like winning the game not not, not like making the winning play and not like he, one of his examples was nobody in college 
no catcher in college calls his own game. There's no no catcher in college. And part of that is, you know, there's money in this, right? So if you're, you know, one of those big conferences you're talking about, I, I'm not going to let that catcher, you know, lose my job for me. You know, so I'm going to call every pitch for him. But, you know, there are consequences for that where you have players that, you know, the cards, where you're looking at the card to know where you should play, you know. The earlier that shows up, the less you ever think for yourself. And you get to the big leagues being like, I don't know where to position myself unless I got a card on my wrist, you know, and that's happening. You know, you go down to the college and that goes, that starts happening younger and younger and younger where they're just told what to do and how to play. And Dan was like, you know, what's missing is nobody's going to the local lot and just playing, you know, and, 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 you know, it's, it's a little over supervised and that's, that's just a general thing that's happened in our society. And, you know, we, we, you know, even I, you know, more of a helicopter parent than my parents were or whatever, you know, but I would love it if my kid was called his friends and said, let's put together a baseball game and just went and played it because that's, that's where you learn. You learn from the playing and especially even unsupervised playing because nobody's telling you what to do and you got to figure it out. I feel vindicated. Cut up that entire answer. I feel (laughs) I've been saying, you know, we don't know how to play the game. There's an actual game to be played. We're so we're so focused on the process. I've been saying this over and over again, and I think people think I'm a moron, but I've been saying this. In sports, you have an actual game that you have to play. That all the stuff that you're learning, it's that it, you have to play the actual game. It's like it's like in football, you be talking about all these fancy stuff. At some point, it's third and one, and you've got to get one yard, right? It's 90 feet away, runners at third, you need to get him in. However, you get him in, it doesn't matter how you get him in, you need to get him in. Or pitcher's fielding practice, guy hits a little ground ball or a bunt, we've got to field it and go the right. None of that has to do with any of the analytics. There's a way to play the actual game, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. There's a way to play the game, and these kids, they're trained better, they're better athletes, they're bigger, they're stronger, blah, 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 blah. They don't know how to play the game. They don't know the rules. It's just like they don't have instincts. They don't have base running instincts. They throw to the wrong bases. They just do little things that don't win games that cost you games, and I'm seeing it. At the big league level, and people try, and let's get back to calling them young. People try to go, oh, they're young. No, they're not trained right. They're not coached right. They're not trained right because we're all focused on the process. That's why I bring golf into it all the time. It's like we're so worried about these guys being on the range, hitting it 800 yards, but all of a sudden you get into onto a golf course, you actually got to play the course. And short game mm-hmm. matters and putting matters and all this stuff. It's like baseball. We can sit there and all take BP and launch them out of the ballpark, but at some point, you got to play the real game. Uh, quickly, to that, you mentioned the Giants. We did this thing with a bunch of our buddies who are diehard Giants fans. A lot of them are guys that I played with, so they're ex-baseball players. Giants are having a pretty good season. They, they've had a couple of tough losses here, Rangers, and of course, last night. No one likes the way they play. Like even I, my doctor, who's a diehard, and he's a numbers guy. All the everybody we reached out to was like seven or eight people, small sample size. But we went, how do you like just the way they play and the way they play it like a chess game? And we we manage every out, and everybody said, I hate it. It's weird. It's like so. It's basically showing me that if you're not entertaining, 
wins cannot be enough. And we all know that attendance is not where it should be. Ratings aren't where it should be. What do you think about just the style of play for the Giants? Just for a lot of people, it doesn't suit the uh, the regular fans' eye. Yeah, it is really interesting because if you look at the numbers only and you talk about you know what drives attendance, the number one driver of attendance is quality of team. So you should see an attendance boost for winning. And we just haven't quite seen that. Even though they won 107 games, the most in franchise history, or the most in San Francisco history uh, two years ago. And even though, once again, they're in second place and uh, the, the, the second wild card and, and, and totally in it, we're not quite seeing the same uh, attendance boost you'd expect to see. I mean, there was a time when the previous uh, San Francisco Giants had like what was like 300 sellouts in a row. You know, and we're definitely not back to that. So I don't know if something is, uh, you know, there was a bit of an exflux of people after COVID there. You know, San Francisco itself is not the same draw in terms of work. People do more work from home in Northern California. People have moved out of, you know, living that close to San Francisco. I wonder if there are some sort of population demographic changes that have had something to do with this. But you have to put that up against the style of play that has changed so much between the Sabian group and the Farhan group that, you know, you have to think that there's that some part of it. And then it's just not fun. Even as a writer, I say, you know, like, Oh my God, you took that guy out when, and you know, and then you have to talk to these players and you know that not all of them are hundred percent into it. You know, you know, this just, I can't tell you who it is because this is off the record stuff, but like, you know, that, that some of these players are rolling their eyes at this stuff, you know, and they're like, well, you know, whatever it takes to win or whatever, you know, like, grumble grumble but you know uh, it, it's the what they've done is take you know found a way to take the most out of veterans and and put the, a bunch of veterans together in a in a in a way to win games it's it, it does suck alex wood is coming in in the sixth for three or he's coming in in the second for four or you know you got ross stripling is he starting is he following you know you never really know what's going and, and one of the nice things about the sabian group was you knew who was starting tonight. you knew who started tonight you knew he'd go three or four or five. You know, if you wanted to buy a jersey for, you know, uh, whoever it was at the time, that they would be there for a while. You know, it's more of that, like, you know, uh, these are the, these are the, this is the core, and we know who it is, and they're going to be here for a while. I wonder how much of this is temporary, as they try to improve their 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 mind league system and get better players that'll be here and play every day. But as much as we are excited about Casey Schmidt. And then Luis Matos, they've both gone back down, you know, and, you know, other than Patrick Bailey, I don't know. We're still looking for kind of like a everyday star, you know, Zach Geloff type, you know, to come up and like, you know, take our attention and, and stick with it. So I don't know if it's just a coping mechanism. Uh, you know, this is the best way they can win games right now. Or if uh, this is something that's here for the long haul and they're just going to have to get used to it. He is the sexiest man at the winter meetings for nerds, ladies and gentlemen. The great Eno Saris from The Athletic. Play his clothes. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Next week, we'll go over the algorithms that I have for Stuff Plus, okay? Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Thanks. You got your own? 
<laughs> I've been staying up late working on it, you know. <laughs> Take care, buddy. He's like the Pamela Anderson at a Baywatch convention at a Winter Meetings Nerds Analytics convention. Can you imagine those guys? Um, excuse me, um, Eno, um, um, Mr. Saris, um, I want to talk to you about your stuff plus. Can you imagine us there just be like? Well, I mean, I can imagine myself there, yes. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Me, I, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> These guys. This is too, like, get a life, bro. Really? All the stuff going on. You live on this earth one time, and you're sitting at home trying to figure out how to make Eno Saris's stuff plus metric better. Or I want to challenge that. I Like, dude, you got nothing going on? Sadly, I don't. Actually, I'm playing pickleball you know tomorrow. What, you know what they say about your generation? Not a whole lot going on with your generation. I got pickleball tomorrow. That's especially all I'm, in, what I'm looking forward to. Especially in the uh, love life. You know, your generation's love lives aren't supposed to be that good, according to the polling. I don't know. I mean, I don't pay attention to that stuff. Video games, high up. Love life, way down. That's not true! That's not what they're saying. I mean, they got all these, you know, sex therapists and everything going. Your generation and younger, it's not, you know. That's not true! You guys, you guys are worried about stuff plus versus Dayton. Kind of a problem. Kind of a problem. Were you tra- you're trying to get me out of here? Yeah, we got to go. Pre-game's in like a minute, minute and a half. Time doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Uh, I just go from one show to another. Uh, well, we, we, we're going to be kicked off the air. All right, minute. coming up next, A's Total Access. Brought to you by Chevron. This is Chris Townsend and Commander Cody for Link Soul. The new summer colors and prints are in stock. The new polos, lightweight, all the colors you want. Fabulous. We got our new order. My wife is so happy that I'm dressing so much better. All thanks to Link Soul. You name it, whether it's polos, whether it's shorts, anything for your summer needs, you need to revamp your wardrobe. You go to LinkSoul.com and they got great summer deals. Go to LinkSoul.com. That's LinkSoul.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.